All right, this morning we come to chapter 4 in the book of Daniel, another one of these great stories that those of us who had the privilege of growing up in the church, we heard these in Sunday school, um, a man who becomes a beast, and uh, the, great, the great king Nebuchadnezzar brought low. Of course, there's much here for us in uh, our adult years as well to give us hopefully wisdom and a deeper understanding of God and His ways, His purposes. <clears throat> so let me read this for us. Uh, I'll read the whole chapter, the story of Nebuchadnezzar and his downfall. Not just the story, but the very word of God Himself. Daniel 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs! How mighty His wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and sets it over the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom 
are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? 
At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, <clears throat> for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So ends the reading from God's holy and fallible and errant word. May he read it on our hearts here this morning. Let's go before him quickly in prayer. <clears throat> our God and Father in heaven, the Most High, we do now come before you and ask that you would bless this time as we come before your word and fulfill the promise that you have made that it goes out and does not return to you empty, but instead accomplishes everything that you purpose for it, and is successful in the things for which you send it. Pour out your Holy Spirit abundantly upon us to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you have for us this morning from your word. Do make your word a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, so that we might walk according to what it teaches us. Father, again, we ask all of this in the precious name of Christ our Lord and our Savior. Amen. <coughs> When I was uh, a teenager and had a bit of an independent schedule, uh, we used to take the bus, or my friend and I would ride our bikes to downtown Seattle. Incredible, interesting place to hang out as a teenager. And a couple times, we decided we would take the elevator to the top floor of one of the tallest buildings in the city. It had a, this great observation deck that looked out on the whole city. And we would joke to ourselves. Someday all this will be mine. I'll never forget that. Someday all this will be mine. We were joking. We were making fun. A couple kids in, in jeans and t-shirts among business people all dressed up. Joking and making fun, but there was some level of, of pride there. Some level of, of hubris. And I think there's some level within every single one of us, some element within every single one of us that we want to rule. We want to be in charge. We want to have power. We want to have influence. Shows up in our language. The king of the castle. A man's home is his castle. The person who rules the roost. The master of all that he or she surveys. It's good to be king. Phrases we're familiar with. These things that we crave and desire. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. And in a very real sense, it's what he had. The great king, conqueror of kingdoms, defeater of the Assyrians and the Egyptians, at peace with the Medes and the Persians, so that they in effect, acknowledged his superiority and power. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar has glory. He's got power. His fame is known to the whole earth. Nevertheless, that proves to be his downfall. In this chapter, the great king becomes nothing more than a beast crawling around in the grass. He keeps his throne until he dies. But as a man, 
he's brought low. And this happens, as we saw in the very last verse of chapter 4, <clears throat> so that he would know that those who have pride will be humbled before God. There's a number of lessons, most of which I'll cover at the end, but I'll note a few as we go through. Again, this morning, I just want to go through the story. We'll recap it a little bit, pick up a couple little lessons along the way. And then at the end, there's three primary lessons that I want uh, to share with us this morning. So, this is Nebuchadnezzar's second dream. The first one in chapter 2. There he didn't reveal what his dream was. I think somewhat of a test of the wise men. Daniel, with God's help, is able to know what the dream is and interpret it. Here in chapter 4, he does reveal what the dream is. He does tell them what it is. But nevertheless, again, the wise men are perplexed. They can't figure it out. What does this dream mean? Or maybe, (laughs) maybe they have a pretty good idea of what it means, but they're just afraid of it. Nebuchadnezzar's afraid, because it's about him. The wise men are afraid because they don't want to tell the king. (laughs) They might get in trouble for giving him bad news. Whatever the reason, we're not told. None of them revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of the dream. The main point is not why he had the dream, but what it tells about Nebuchadnezzar and his relationship with the Most High God. But I do think there's something in this interplay between Nebuchadnezzar, his wise men, and Daniel that tells us something about being willing, as Daniel is, to speak the truth, even though it's a hard truth. There is a lesson there. Sometimes we have to be willing to say what everyone knows, (laughs) but's afraid to say. do recognize as we get there how humble Daniel is as he goes before the king. Not arrogant, not judgmental, in fact wishing that it would not be true. He's actually grieved to tell what he knows to the king, but it's a truth from God and so it must be told. This is a contrast to us so often. We love to throw the truth in people's faces, humiliate them with it. That's not what Daniel does. Truth doesn't need to be spoken with harsh words. And it shouldn't be harsh in most cases. It just needs to be true. Remember when we went through the book of Luke and our Bible study, Jesus pronounces woe, but in the context of what he's doing, those, those are words of sorrow. How terrible it is that this is going to happen. So Nebuchadnezzar issues this decree, telling his story to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell and all the earth. It's a message meant for his kingdom, but all peoples, all kingdoms everywhere, probably intended to go out by emissaries or foreign diplomats returning home. And what is this important message? To show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for Nebuchadnezzar, followed by a declaration of praise. Sounds very much like a psalm in verse 3. Some speculate he got some help from Daniel in composing these little psalms of praise. So his readers already were kind of anticipating what's going to happen. Something has happened to Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know what. It's caused him to praise the Most High God. What is it that could have turned the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar to praise the Most High God? 
And so he tells us. He set us up for the story. Now he's going to reveal it to us. He was at ease in his house, prospering in his palace. So this is probably later in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. The battles were mostly done. The kingdom was settled. Nebuchadnezzar engaged in this incredible building program. The foundations of the walls of Babylon have been dug up. And what we know of them is that they're absolutely incredible. A four-horse chariot could do a U-turn on the top of the walls. They're huge. He built, according to history, the, the great hanging gardens for his wife who missed her forest home. He was wealthy. He was wise. But this healthy and wise and powerful king had a dream that troubled him. Fancies, visions alarmed him in his bed. So he summons the wise men. Again, they refused or, or simply failed. Finally, Daniel comes in at the end, maybe called last or came in last because he was busy running the province, which was his job. And here Nebuchadnezzar makes a point of referring to him by his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. Perhaps a, a little bit of a device to show there's a little bit of a conflict going on here in this story between Nebuchadnezzar and his gods and Daniel and the Most High God of Israel. In any case, the dream's rather simple itself. A huge tree in the very middle of the earth, huge in height, strong, reaches to heaven itself, visible in all the ends of the earth. Its leaves are beautiful. The fruit is abundant. Every living creature can eat of it. Animals find shelter there, birds in the branches. All flesh is fed from it. What an incredible description. And one kind of like the statue in chapter 2, with the different kinds of metals that would have had an echo of familiarity for Nebuchadnezzar and his wise men. This picture of a tree in the middle of the earth is, in their mythology, a picture of (coughs) power and prosperity of a great kingdom and great success. They would have gotten at least that much of the dream, most likely. But then in verse 13, we get to the troubling part. A watcher, a holy one, comes down from heaven and pronounces a word of judgment on the tree. It's to be chopped down. Its branches are to be lopped off. Its leaves stripped, its fruit scattered. The beasts caused to flee, the birds take off from the branches. And yet a stump is left in the ground. We don't know what it means to have the, the, the binding on it. Perhaps a, a symbol of protection or preservation. We don't really know. But the tree stump with its roots is left in the ground in the midst of a grassy field. Well, that's troubling. But there's more. Starting in verse 15, Now it's referring not to a tree, but to a hymn, a man, wet with the dew of heaven, making his portion with a beast. His mind changed from a man's mind to that of a beast. Seven periods of time to pass. Traditionally, we have thought of that as seven years. It could have been seven months. It could have been seven somethings. Seven months would have been long enough. 
for his hair and nails to grow out. But in any case, seven periods of time, which is more, uh, what's more important about that is it's a full length of time. It's a complete length of time to teach him a complete lesson. He's told the lesson in the dream. Verse 17, he's to learn, he's to know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it even the lowliest of men. Now that seems clear. That seems fairly straightforward to us as readers. And again, I think maybe to to Nebuchadnezzar and his wise men. A great kingdom is going to be brought low. A man is going to be humbled like a beast. Mind changed. Behavior changed. We can already guess what's going to happen, and probably Nebuchadnezzar could guess too, and that's what troubled him. If you have that dream and you know it's, or you think it's about yourself, yeah, you're going to lay awake at night, troubled, tossing, turning. So starting in verse 19, Daniel comes and interprets. Dismayed for a while, it says. And the king has to say, look, don't let the dream and its interpretation alarm you. He's telling him to speak freely. So Daniel, again, the humility here, I think, is so insightful. My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. This is an oppressed slave. Our natural reaction would be, boy, I sure hope this comes true. He sure deserves it, because apparently he does. He does need to repent, as we'll see in a minute. Not Daniel. May this interpretation be for those who hate you. It's your enemies. The tree is you. The tree is you. You are going to be cut down. The Most High God himself has decreed that this will come to pass, that you will be driven from among men. You're going to go dwell with the beast. You're going to eat grass itself. You're going to be wet with the very dew. Seven periods of time are going to pass until you realize, Nebuchadnezzar, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. This repeated phrase over and over again. Think that's the lesson? How often does God have to repeat it? But the stump in the ground means that you will be restored to the point, or from the point, when you realize this and that you know that heaven rules. And then he advises the king, beginning in uh, verse 26 and 27. 27, really. Let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Perhaps there will be a lengthening of your prosperity. Indicating that for all the greatness and prosperity the wealth and the might of the the reign of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, there was still oppression. There were still those who needed to be shown mercy. There was still evil and wickedness in his kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar apparently is at fault. He needs to learn to amend his ways, but the most important lesson still that he needs to learn is there is a Most High God who rules in heaven. And then very succinctly, very abruptly, it says in 28, and all this happened. All of it happened. And then it tells us how. Twelve months passed. Twelve months. 
for Nebuchadnezzar to repent. Twelve months for him to change his ways. Twelve months for him to realize there's a God who's more powerful than he is. If he hasn't seen it already with the dream of the statue, if he hasn't seen it already with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being saved from the fiery furnace, all of it happened says he's looking out over the city in verse 30. Up on the roof of his royal palace, on top of the city at the highest point, like me and my friends back in high school, surveying the whole thing, looking down from the top. Look at this great city that I built. I did it by my might and for my glory, my majesty, pride, arrogance. (laughs) Look what I did. And immediately, the words are still in his mouth. A voice from heaven comes and pronounces judgment. The kingdom has departed from you. And he's driven out. He does live like a beast. He does eat grass. Seven periods of time pass for him to learn, for him to know that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. It even gets to this bizarre, bizarre description at the end of, what is it, verse 33 there. That his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like the bird's claws. Long, sharp nails. Long, straggly hair. The king of all the world. I'm king of the world, says Nebuchadnezzar. He's crawling on the ground. Dirty, wet, scraggly, filthy. Have you seen someone with long, filthy nails? They're disgusting. That's Nebuchadnezzar. And then the change, starting in verse 34. At the end of the days, at the end of this period of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And at that point, his reason returned to him. He blesses the Most High God again with a little psalm of praise. His kingdom is returned to its greatness. His lesson is learned. He proclaims in verse 37 that he praises and extols the honor of the King of Heaven. All his works are right. All his ways are just. Those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar's learned his lesson. And that's the first lesson. And it's the first lesson most people point to as they look at this chapter. They key off that idea in verse 37, how God is able to humble those who are proud. So a simple lesson. Don't be proud. Don't be prideful. You're not as great as you think you are. Even if you are as great as the great king Nebuchadnezzar. Again, arguably, no king has been as great and ruled as much territory as powerfully as he did. Pride is poisonous because it causes us to look away from God and look at ourselves. There was a a picture there that was provided for us in this text of Nebuchadnezzar. When he's prideful, what's his gaze? From on top, looking down. He's the one on high looking down at all that he has done, his great city. What happens when things are corrected, when his reason returned? Verse 34, 
I lifted my eyes to heaven. He looked up. Now he realized he's on the bottom. <laughs> he has to look up and see the dwelling place of the Most High God. Someone who's greater and higher than he is. It's the same lesson for us. We look at ourselves. We get caught up in our own greatness, our wisdom, our intelligence, all the things that we've learned, the great talents that we have, the skills that we possess. We boast about them, how beautiful or handsome we are, how popular we are with our friends, the great success we have, how much money we have, how much influence. Some of us, when we were in school, like to boast about our good grades. When we get older, we boast about our great house, our fancy car, and on and on and on. We love to boast. We're prideful. We're looking at ourselves. We're looking down. We need to look to the God of heaven, look up to the Most High God, who is greater than all, and humble ourselves. Don't be proud. Be humble. But there's another lesson in here. There's something very, <laughs> it's prideful, but it's, it's also just incredibly stupid what Nebuchadnezzar says as he's looking upon his kingdom in verse 30. Is this not great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power? Isn't this what I have done? Look at my works. Look at what I did. Who built this great city? Not rock and roll. Nebuchadnezzar. The king ordered the building, organized all the, the money, the finances, thought it all up, made it happen. But he realized, or, or didn't realize something that he should have realized, is that no man does anything on his own. The work is always God. Always. We have this, again, repeated language, this repeated title in this chapter, the Most High God, and the reminder that he rules over the kingdom of men. God is in charge. God sets up kings. He brings down kings. And he can put the lowliest of men in charge of the greatest kingdom. Or not. That was true for Nebuchadnezzar. He did not realize that everything he had was a gift from God. God set him up in that rule. God sustained him. God gave him the power. God used him for his own purposes. It's the same for you and me. There's nothing that you or I have accomplished. Nothing. That's not a gift from God. No matter how great, no matter how small, anything of value, anything of worth that you have is a gift from God. And so, therefore, we should be grateful, be thankful. Nebuchadnezzar was not grateful. He was not thankful. His language changes at the end. Passive. My kingdom was restored to me. Not I got it back. It was given back to me. My greatness was restored to me. He's learned something. We need to learn the same lesson. But there's a third lesson that I think is even more important. It's hard for us to relate to Nebuchadnezzar because I'm not a king. None of you are kings. 
There's no great kingdom here that we rule over. We don't really, my story is not his story. And so the lessons can be applied maybe in a broad or general way, except I think in this one very key thing that we have in common with good old King Nebuchadnezzar. Part of it is found in that desire to rule, to be king. Someday all this will be mine. <laughs> we all want to be in charge, king or queen of our own territory. It all shows up in all sorts of ways. It leads to pride. It leads to lack of gratitude. But those are symptoms. The root problem is that desire to rule. And the main place it happens right here in my own heart, right there in your own hearts. Set ourselves up as king or queen of our own destiny. Make our own decisions for our lives. Decide what we will and will not do. It's my life. Nobody can make me do what I don't want to do. Nobody can tell me what I can or can't do. This is the prevailing wisdom, so-called, of the world around us today. Everybody's right. Everybody does what is right in their own mind. Does that sound biblical? But we see it especially and most devastatingly every single time we sin. Because every choice to sin, and it is a choice, is a choice to be king or queen in our own lives. I'm going to do what I want for my own pleasure, for my own reasons. Every choice to sin is a matter of looking at my own little realm, refusing to look to the king of heaven and act in rebellion against him, forgetting that his works are right and that his ways are just. I don't rule a great kingdom like Nebuchadnezzar, neither do you. (laughs) But there is that matter of our hearts. Because our arrogance is just as great as he is every time we choose to sin. Assert control of our own little kingdom, ourselves. The consequences are great. Eternal destruction. We read about it and learned about it last week. The fiery furnace of God's wrath. Even in this life, the the satisfaction from ruling ourselves is so temporary, so fleeting. It fades away. Paul says we glory in our shame, but our end is destruction. And there's only one solution, to be brought low just like Nebuchadnezzar. To be brought low, realize that the disgusting nature of our own filthy nails of sin, our scraggly hair of sin, and look to God Most High and acknowledge Him. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a lesson to teach him. What does God give us? His Son to save us from pride, from ingratitude, from our own rebellious sin. Jesus, the true King, Jesus, the Lord and Savior of all who will turn in repentance and faith to him. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. 
brought low, a man acting like a beast. But that compares not at all to Jesus who was humbled on our behalf. Again, as Paul writes to the Philippians, becoming a servant obedient even unto death on the cross. The humiliation that we deserve, he took on himself. That's the great gift from God that we receive and accept by grace through faith in Christ. We need to hear the repeated message, the repeated, The repetition in Daniel 4 is sometimes a little irritating to read. But it's there for a reason. We need to hear it. We need to hear the repeated message to get off our selfish, self-indulgent, ungrateful, rebellious thrones and look to God and accept His gift and to repent and believe. It's easy to look around the world as the psalmist did in Psalm 73, Asaph. Look at the wicked prospering in despair. But what changed his mind? going up to God's house and looking to Him. What changes our mind, our attitude toward our sin? Coming to God. Coming to His Word. Being reminded of Christ and what He's done for us. Renewing our repentance and faith in Him. And there's one, one last additional thing. This is a letter. This is a decree, if you will, that Nebuchadnezzar sends out to the whole world to tell his story. You have a story to tell as well. You've been blessed by the saving power of God. Tell that story. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, indeed, our sin brings us low if we meditate upon it and contemplate it. Our sin is ever before us. Our bones melt. Our heart becomes heavy. But you are the lifter of our heads. And you have done this for us through Christ our Lord and Savior. What a precious and wonderful gift he is to us. Let us never be put to shame. But rather let us look with hope, with confidence. Christ our Lord and Savior, who was humbled on our behalf. We don't rule kingdoms like Nebuchadnezzar, but we are just as boastful and prideful in our arrogant sin. And we ask that you would, it's a hard lesson, but that you would repeatedly teach us this lesson to to come to you with humility, with thanksgiving, and uh, look to you as Lord and Savior, our helper, our friend, our keeper, the shade at our right hand, the one who saves us from the pit of destruction, our God, our King. We thank you for the work of Christ for us. We rest on that. We receive it with the open arms of faith. And we ask all of these things in the precious name of our Savior. Amen. Ahem. <clears throat>